On today's episode, Anthony Sotilli joins the show again to talk about PyTest. This time, we talk about PyTest markers, one of my favorite features of PyTest. Welcome to Testing Code. So how's it going? Pretty good. I think I ask you this all the time. Let me guess this time. You're in the Bay Area. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I got it right. Yeah, I'm in San Mateo. Well, thanks for uh, joining me. So Anthony, we're going to talk about markers. Markers. Love markers. But I don't think they're understood very much. Yeah. They can also be real tricky. Hopefully we can talk about a lot of it. So as a review, I know you know all this, but let's review for people. So there's a couple things that we use, mar- a lot of stuff we use markers for. People will see them when they're parameterizing because we do like PyTest mark parameterize and skip or filter warnings or skip if and X fail and stuff like that. Use the marker mechanism. But mostly I don't really think of those as markers. I think of those as their own functionality. What I think of as markers is when I say like PyTest.mark-.foo or my own, whatever my own thing is, I can mark it to be anything. And then you can use that to use the dash M and run the tests with those marks, with the custom marks. Yeah, I actually wish those concepts were separate because I feel like when I try and explain marks to people, like, or I try and explain parameterize to people or one of the other, you know, either or, it's really easy to get the two confused. And I feel like the functionality that's provided by the built-in marks is so different than the traditional usage of markers. I realize I keep saying marks and markers. The actual word is markers, but even the documentation uses the word marks occasionally. And so it's a little inconsistent. Right. Markers. I got to say markers. Okay. So the preferred term is markers or? Yeah. Okay. As far as I understand, the documentation uses the word markers way more often than it uses the word marks. Okay. But marks does show up at least a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're not the most internally consistent there. Okay. So normally when you're teaching people how to use these two concepts, you separate them then that the custom markers, it's a different kind of a beast than other stuff. Yeah, I talk about them completely separately. Okay, that makes sense. So let's talk about that side first then, the custom markers thing. So the sure. like, there's something that came in, I think it was PyTest, I'm going to get it wrong, somewhere in the 5X range, or there was a change made that you have to declare them ahead of time. Yeah, I think that was right around. I can't remember whether it was PyTest 4 or PyTest 5, but one of the two. Okay, and it's not difficult. So you throw it in a PyTest any file or something to say, I can't remember the terminology. I'll throw it in the show notes, but it's like something like markers mm-hmm. or something like that. Or, yep. And then you just list the ones. The cool th- part about that, though, is at first I was like sort of annoyed, but there's a reason. What's the reasoning around having to declare them? Yeah, so the the original bug report that, or I guess feature request or breaking change request that was brought up about this was, it was way too easy to accidentally typo a mark name and then have tests that were either you know silently never run or weren't inheriting the behaviors that you expected because of a particular mark. And so the request was to make a way such that if you were to typo a mark name, it would show up as an error to the test writer. And so by requiring the test writer to document each of the named marks inside of the configuration file, 
there was kind of a, an allow list to be compared against to say, oh, this is a valid mark versus this is an invalid mark. Right. And I can't remember for a while it was just warnings, but do they show up as errors now? Or I believe it's been upgraded to an error. Looks like I just try it really quickly. Let's see. Install PyTest. I think it's an error now. Dev test. <laughs> You're so quick to be able to just do things on the fly to try them out. Oh, it is still a warning. Interesting. Okay. Uh, but you can upgrade the warnings to errors if you want to. Okay. Especially um, in a work environment or a project like that I have published. I usually do upgrade all warnings to failures so that I... Yeah, it's usually a good best practice. Yeah, because a warning is going to... is a problem, mostly. <laughs> yeah, almost always the warnings are correct, and so I usually find that it's a good idea to upgrade them to errors. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I first tried PyCharm when they started supporting PyTest many years ago. Their support for PyTest is now amazing. I was a longtime Vim user, so next I needed to test the IdeaVim plugin. So all of my finger muscle memory still worked while editing. Check, it works great. There's lots of reasons to love PyCharm, but for me, it is because they have the absolute best user interface for test automation. Then I learned many more ways PyCharm can save me time, like really great support for editing Markdown, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, remote connections to database, and amazing version control support. Really, it's the best Git diff tool I've ever used. And now version 2020.3 is out. And the shift shift, the find anything key sequence, even lets you search git commit messages. What even? That is so awesome. Tons of other cool features have been added in 2020.3. Check it out and I hope you enjoy it at testingcode.com slash pycharm. So I just actually put this in place in one of the test suites that I have. I was trying to debug the whole suite. And I was annoyed that occasionally I've got I've got some of the tests that that were there intentionally to like try to investigate some problem that that didn't happen very often or something, or we're really just doing like every single little bullet like data point to make sure that it was thorough. But we don't run them all the time. If we're working in that area, we'll run them like during the the nightly test and stuff to make sure. But marking them with there's a thing in the documentation which is actually fairly cool to. There's a hint on how to mark things as uh, slow. So you can just say PyTest mark slow. Mm -hmm. And slow is not magical. It's just a name that the example chooses. And then how to set it up so that by default they don't run. So you like set it up so that by default uh, these don't run. But in order to get them run, you have to pass in a flag to say run these. Now that's not built into the PyTest default marker behavior. But it is a cool trick. Yep. There's also plugins that let you do this kind of automatically as well. So they, they can hook in, or plugins can hook into the marker mechanism and specify specific behaviors just like the one you described. Yeah. And, and also when we say that you have to declare your markers, if you got it from a plugin, there's a way for a plugin to add a declaration too. So they show up. One of the other things I really like about that feature of having to declare though, is while you're at it, the format encourages you to like have a string to say what it is. You do like marker name colon and then like what the markers for. And then it shows up when you, what is it like a dash dash markers or something? Yep. So you can list all of them and you can list them and it shows yours also. And that's neat. Okay. So then you like, let's say in my case, I want to run all the slow tests. I'd have to, well, if I had the functionality turned on so that it didn't run automatically, I'd have to run the flag to say to run those. But I also can pass in dash M slow 
and it just runs the ones with those marks on it. So uh, that's the idea, right? I mean, one of the ideas you can take like random tests throughout your like. Let's say I mark, um, I have like smoke tests, so I mark uh, like different fairly quick tests around all around my test suite as you know smoke, and then if I ran dash m smoke, it'll run all of the ones that were marked with smoke, and that's really cool. Yeah. One cool uh, use case that I did for this is I have a tool that I maintain that makes network connections as part of its test suite to make sure that things work end to end. And occasionally when I'm flying places, which hasn't happened in a while, but occasionally when I'm flying places and I'm too cheap to pay for internet on the airplane, I'll use a marker to say like, this one requires network. And so I'll use, you know, dash M not network and filter out all of the tests that require an internet connection to run. Yeah, and the not is cool. For instance, if we didn't have the special mechanism to not run slow tests, you could set it up in your your default PyTest any or something to, to include not slow. So run the, all of them that don't aren't marked with slow. But you can also do, let's talk about those expressions. You can use not, you can use or, and to combine those. That's pretty cool. Am I missing anything? Can we do anything other than and, or, and not? So you can do parentheses as well. This mini selection language was actually changed pretty recently. It used to be arbitrary code execution. And so it was really hard to get the actual right thing out of it. Basically, it was just thrown into eval and hope for the best. But recently, I believe it was part of PyTest 6, both dash K and dash M were rewritten to have a very specific set of rules and operators. And I believe everything that's supported right now is and, or, not, and parentheses. I think that's it. Okay. And do you know what the like the precedence order is for and, or, and not? So it should be the same as the order for Python. So and will bind higher than or, and not will bind higher than and or or. And then parentheses will um, do grouping. So if I want to think about these expressions, I need... I can think of the, all the marker names as just true or false values then? Yep. Yeah, you can think of them as Booleans. Oh, okay. That's cool. If that's how what it ends up being. Yeah, there's a little tokenizer that splits it into kind of a abstract syntax tree and then parses based on that. So it's it's a little mini language. Okay, cool. Yeah, like you said, these are fun things. We had, um, for example, I've got the, we've marked some of my tests was slow. But we also have some tests that require special configuration, special setup. So we have a, like, and I'm talking about, I'm testing hardware stuff. So they all have to get, pieces of equipment need to be wired up. But we have, like, a standard wiring setup. So the tests don't have to, like, declare anything if you're using the standard wiring. But for some functionality, we need to change the wiring up. So for those, we've marked those tests to say, this is this special wiring system. For instance, I can run all the ones with a, the two by two wiring and with just the marker flag. And I can then combine that with the slow to say, I want to run all the two by twos, but I don't want to run the slow ones, for instance, or something like that. So, yeah, so you could do by two by two and not slow. And then what <laughs> this is on top of the keyword uh, language, right? So, this is completely separate, but that works similar. Yep. So, it's the same syntax uh, with keywords I can do and or not. and parentheses yep they use the same little mini language neat but so uh, then which one runs first i mean conceptually i don't remember <laughs> they're ended together so i think the order actually doesn't matter okay so i can use like the keyword stuff to even just within that set if i wanted all the the two by twos with all the, and not the slow ones 
but then I can also use the keywords to select a subset of the, the test name or something to say, yep. Then Okay. It's just, it's pretty powerful. And, and I, I don't really use other testing languages like unit test or anything else. So I'm not sure if this is a, a unique flexibility of PyTest, but it sure is handy. Yeah, I haven't seen this anywhere else. I guess there's one thing that I want to talk about that's slightly different between dash K and dash M, and you brought it up with the substring thing there. I believe with dash M, the marker name has to match the entire mark name, whereas with dash K, it's a subset of it. So it's slightly different there, but basically the same mechanism. Yeah, okay. That's good to bring up. But the Boolean logic is the same. Yep. Using logic with the keyword is super handy, too. I use that all the time. And I also do like the... um, Select only? Yeah. Is that the one that just shows the ones that would have been run but doesn't actually run them? Yeah, it doesn't actually run them. So if I've got like a 10-minute test suite or something like that and I want to narrow it down, it's handy to be able to just run the keywords and then see if you got the right ones. And if you have way too many tests and you're like, oh, I need to filter that more, well, then you can work on your keyword expression before running them. So that's handy. Yep, that also works for Dash M as well. That's a great point. We talked about this briefly at the beginning that the like, PyTest mark dot something is the same syntax that's used for parameterize and skip. And mm-hmm. and parameterize is a bit of a, maybe a special thing, but maybe it's not. Do all these use the same mechanism, Mark? I mean, why are they the same? So they do and they don't to some extent. Like they do all go through the marker mechanism. And so they are registered in exactly the same place that the user space markers would be registered. And you could write your own version of parameterized in that same space and use exactly the same syntax and then build a build a plugin on top of it that would generate tests similar to how PyTest does. And like all of that is is using the base marker functionality. They are a little bit special because they're treated as first class citizens within the framework and they have some special argument parsing, but from like a plugin writer perspective, they're not all that different than just traditional marks. The one main difference is all of the PyTest ones take, I guess they don't don't all take arguments because xfail can be argumentless and skip can be argumentless, but pretty much all of them take arguments and do special behaviors based on those. But you could write your own custom markers that also take arguments and do special stuff as well. That's a bit of a weird mind jump. When you go from a couple of things there, I really think it's actually, now that I think about it, it's kind of neat that the parameterize and skip for instance, use the mark functionality because you can use those then, those examples that are in the code to create some fairly powerful plugins that just basically work using the mark mechanism. And there's examples there to use that. That's pretty neat. The downside is, I mean, I often want to just teach people how to use parameterize and it has nothing to do with how marks really. How marks work, yeah. Like, what is, why isn't it just pytest.params? What is this mark thing about? Oh, well, that's some implementation detail. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I really, that GIF with the exploding head, that's what I felt like <laughs> yeah. when I found out that you could, like, pass arguments to the marker. So if we say, like, pytest.mark.slow, you could also say .slow and then put parentheses and put, like, pass arguments to a mark. Mm-hmm. You can add metadata using parameters like that, yes. What do you mean by metadata? So like if you want to say a test is a slow test, and like what else would you say about a slow test? Maybe it's slow because it takes network, or maybe it's slow because it takes disk or something. You could say like pytest.mark.slow 
network equals true or disk equals true and store both keyword arguments and positional arguments as part of that marker. Okay. Uh, positional and uh, keyword arguments. And that's like, for instance, when we skip, you can, or X fail, you can pass a reason in. So would the reason be metadata then? Yeah, that gets attached to the marker itself. Okay. And then what? There's a, a plugin. So you've got like a, a hook function or something that can then read whether or not the mark was added to. Yeah, there's a bunch of places within PyTest that give you access to the the item, as it's called internally, which is the representation of the individual test that you're working on. And that test, as well as all of its parents, so like a, a test's parent is either a class or a module or a package, or there's essentially a hierarchy of items there. And on each of those, you can query the marks that are active at that spot. I believe, so the APIs have changed here a little bit. So I believe the API is iter markers. Uh, there's also get closest marker, which might sound a little bit weird. And like there's there's two different APIs that can be a little bit confusing. The former, the iter markers one, is more intended for markers that can be stacked. So you might have, for most of the marks that we talked about that are user-based marks, you would kind of just have like one or zero. Like you would either be slow or you wouldn't have slow. You would have absence or presence. But it might make sense to have parameters that uh, parameterize things that you might mark multiple times. So, for instance, like uh, skip if is an example that is a mark. And again, we're, we're crossing the streams a little bit here, but skip if is a marker that you might apply multiple times. You might skip if it's Python 2 or skip if it's Tuesday or something like that. And you might stack those particular markers. And so you have to iterate through them to uh, consider all of their conditions. Oh, OK. That's a good example. Because I always thought, like, so iter markers, you pass in a name. I'm like, why would that, why would it be iter markers? Why would you have more than one? The other reason for get closest marker is you can also mark things at different levels. You might mark the test, or you might mark the class that contains it, or you might mark the module that contains it. And get closest gives you an opportunity to override based on those. So you might say, maybe your class, maybe your module level says that all of these are slow, but you have one test in, in the middle that's like slow equals false, for instance. I don't know how you would represent that in actual markers, but you might you know, have some metadata and reassign it at a more granular scope. And so get closest marker would give you the one that's the closest to the actual test definition. Okay. Well, skip if would be a good an example for that too, of like you might have a different reason. Yeah. Overriding the reason would be a good idea. Yeah. The thing with skip if though, it's kind of weird in that like... <laughs> Skip if is only additive. You can only add more conditions where you skip stuff. You wouldn't be able to like subtract out stuff there. But I actually don't know that there's a mechanism for removing markers at particular scopes. I don't. I don't quite know how that would work. But that's why there's two different APIs. If I'm playing with this and I've got a like a hook function in a plugin, and I just want to check to see if the item has the marker or not, would I reach for iter markers or get closest marker? Is there a default that you usually look at? I mean, you could use either of them in that case. I would probably reach for get closest marker, which is the replacement for the old API. The old API was just called get marker and basically returns you a marker or none. The other cool thing about this is you can also access these in individual tests. So like, you don't even have to write a plugin for this. You can use the request fixture and that'll have access to the, the test nodes and subsequently the markers. Okay. Now, why would I need that? Like at a test level, can I just, I mean, I'm writing a test. Can I just look at the source code and see that the marker is there or not? For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's not so useful at the test level. I think it's more useful at like fixture levels. So you might have a fixture that acts differently based on whether a test is marked in a particular way. 
I've used this in a fixture to like change a behavior based on a particular marker. Okay, but it does make sense if I was just playing with this mechanism and trying to understand it. Maybe at a test level might be the best because I can see if I add this foo marker, I can see that it shows up in my test through request. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely like the easiest way to start playing with this because you don't have to you don't have to understand all of the hook uh, stuff and writing a plugin and all that other things. You can just write it in normal tests. So Git marker is an old thing because that's the Git marker seems like the most obvious name for something like that. So why was that bad? So there was a big rewrite of the markers that happened. I want to say it was in 4.x. See, I have this open, don't I? 3.6. Okay, I'm misremembering. In 3.6, PyTest did a big backend refactor for markers, which were particularly tangly. And this also made a lot of the built-in markers a lot simpler. They used to be a little bit more ingrained in the actual implementation of PyTest. And there was not a great way to represent all of the situations that people wanted to write with markers. And yeah, Git marker didn't really support the proper overriding or the you know stacked markers or that sort of thing. And so we made a breaking change to the implementation of Git marker and decided the best way to communicate that breaking change was to change the name of the function as well. Okay. So that's why it changed. Okay. So we've got really two that, that might make sense, iter markers or Git closest marker. Yep. There's actually a page in the documentation that talks about this particular bit. I'll send that to you and you can put it in the show notes. Oh, that'd be great. I mean, to be fair, the most people using, so this is of particular use for people that are like writing plugins or doing some fancy stuff. Yeah, this is more for plugin authors than users. And not to say that there are, I mean, there's a lot of functionality that people put in conf test files that are essentially plugins that they're local. So you might use it even if you thought you weren't a plugin author. Yeah, that's true. You know, we need, I guess, you may be a plugin author if we need one of those like joke books or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's actually, I'm sure it sounds terrible over a podcast because, uh, you know, it'd be good to look at source code. But that it isn't as scary as it sounds. It's a pretty cool system. But the system of, I want to mark a whole bunch of tests and be able to run the ones with those marks or not those marks. That's pretty easy to do. And the, one of the things that I think is cool, a cool use for the adding parameters to markers is to be able to, like, maybe the reason thing, maybe the reason changed or something. But with your own, like, even with a conf test fixture or something, if I got a fixture that does some work, it's one way to have, like, pass logic from the test declaration to the fixture because the fixture can read out the value of that marker. It's one way to pass data from the test to the fixture. And I don't know if there's another way. I think beyond indirect parameterization, I think this is the only other way. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the way you're supposed to communicate with fixtures. Okay. Indirect parameterization, you can, yeah, there's that. (laughs) But that's also a mark, so it's not actually all that different now that I think about it. Yeah. But it is kind of a, a, a neat thing because often when you push work into a fixture, and it works for like 90% of the cases. And then you run into like that one corner case where you need something special to happen. And you're like, darn, I pushed all that code into a fixture. I don't know. I haven't ran across a good way, reason to pass values from a test to the fixture. And to be clear, it's not really passing values at runtime. Right, right. It's at right, uh, is that like, you know, author write time. I mean, when you're 
typing the thing, you can say, oh, I need to tell the fixture that in for this test, we only need four ports open or something like that. Or Yeah. Actually, no, things like word address or something like that, that'd be a cool way to pass that. Yeah. Anyway, just thinking. Mm-hmm. I've mostly seen this used for like the argument stuff. I've mostly seen as a mechanism for plugins to have special behaviors. For instance, like, what is it? PyTest repeatedly? PyTest repeat? PyTest repeats? I don't know. One one of those names is the actual plugin name. <laughs> but you mark a test with pytest.mark.repeat and say like n equals 10, and then it will generate 10 tests for you from that. And so like I've, I've seen similar to that. Oh, that'd be cool. Building plugins based on it. We talked about parents a little bit. This is kind of a, a tangent. So if I have a parameterized test, for instance, like with yep. 10, like it, you know, it just counts one through 10 or something. So it's going to run 10 times. That set of tests that is the test and all its parameterizations, is that an entity at all or does that disappear? Yeah. So it depends on which part of the process you interrogate to ask if it's an item or not. Pre-parameterization, it's not, but post-parameterization, each of those is an individual test function, but with a different parameter set. Right. But I can't, like, the collection of all the tests that were parameter that resulted in the, you know, the test and all its parameterizations, that as an entity doesn't exist within the PyTest system, does it? It kind of does, but it also mostly doesn't. Okay. It's kind of a gray area between existing and not. You can access the particular function that would have that one parameterized uh, marker on it, but it depends on, I guess it depends on like what you would want to do with that. Like if you want to change the whole collection of those or the, the word collections overloaded, the whole um, group of things that are that <laughs> one particular test. Well, the, the use case that I, I mean, I don't know about like knowing whether markers really are play into that other than parameterization. I bring it up because like I often want to have a fixture that just runs before and after all of the tests, all of the parameterizations. Mm. And so that seems to be a scope that's missing. Yeah, it's it would be somewhere between like function and class. Yeah. Because the function scope is going to get set up and torn down every single parameterization combination. Yeah, I don't know that there's one that exists in that scope. That would be an interesting feature idea. And the workaround that I came up with really always when I need that is class. So Yeah, wrap it in a class. Wrap it in a class and have a class level, class scoped fixture. But it seems I don't need the class for anything else. So Yeah, basically just building your namespace. Yeah. I've done the same hack, <laughs> so I completely understand. Okay. And so the parameterization, since it's a marker thing, it's not really, it is like a plugin then, sort of. Yeah. So the core PyTest doesn't really know about parameterizations, or does it? I mean... It does, isn't it? It doesn't. <laughs> like, I think parameterize is the one with the like big asterisk next to it because there's so much special treatment of parameterize inside of PyTest that I would, I think of it as a first class okay. thing that's separate from markers. But all the other ones, I think, are less special. The skipping and warnings, filtering and exfailing, like those are all less special. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that came up as I was looking through the documentation to get ready for this. Looking through the documentation, it says the PyTest docs say PyTest mark is a factory object. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Right? (laughs) I think what it's trying to say is that is a little bit metaprogrammery magicery. 
in that it allows you to construct an arbitrary object just based on an, an attribute name. Okay. It's a builder of marker objects, I think. Okay. It is kind of weird that it just says, oh, point us to mark as a factory. <laughs> <laughs> Where is that in the docs? Well, let's not be on this page. <laughs> yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind of a funny distinction okay. there. But I don't know. It really doesn't really mean anything to me. Okay. Well, so the I have a, a just a bullet to ask you. Are there any cool marker tricks that you've used that you can share? Beyond the like data passing from test to fixtures and the basic usage with Dash M, I don't really do anything too tricky or special with them. I think the the use cases that we talked about earlier are probably the most interesting ones, which are you know segmenting off a portion of your test suite based on markers and then selecting them based on the Dash M argument or an additional argument that you add with conf test or with plugin. Yeah. And then one of the things that like segmenting stuff off, if you're essentially, so the keyword stuff, there's a little bit of a weird nomenclature around stuff. So depending on when you decide to not run a test, it either shows up as like, I can't remember, unselected. Deselected. Deselected. Yeah. Or if it was selected, but then later based on a marker, you decide to skip it, shows up as a skip. Like for instance, on my the slow example, if I it's implemented as skipping. So if I decide if I select, so if I've got a file with ten tests in it, and I mark like two of them with slow or something, and run just those, are the rest of them marked as skipped then, or are they just not? They're deselected. I believe they're marked as deselected. Let me see. <laughs> Test two passed. They are marked as, so it's selected two items, one deselected, one selected. So it'll, with dash M, it'll mark them as selected or not. And that's the same as what it does with dash K as well. Okay. You could, though, you could make a fixture that notices a mark and then raises a skip as a side effect. And so then, then you could change, you could change your selection based on another argument that's different than dash M and dash K and have a status that would be you know, skipped instead. But the out of the box, it's selected and deselected. Okay. Is there a way to, at runtime, modify the selection? Yeah, there is. Like, you, you have to intercept the, the collect items or something like that, right? Yeah, I think it's PyTest modify items, if I remember the hook name. Okay. Which I've used a couple of times. That one's... <laughs> I find overriding that hook can be really confusing to end users because it kind of silently changes what they're testing <laughs> without really telling them what's going on. So I was, I'm always a little hesitant to override that one. But yes, you can use that and inspect marks at that stage, I believe. Okay. And I actually, I think it's a good idea to, if you're going to dynamically do something like the example, a link to the example about the slow thing, because it's a cool, small example and it's easy for people to put in place. But all the ones that you, like if you mark it with slow and it doesn't run, it'll show up as skipped with a reason why it didn't run. So, and since I'm, prone to make mistakes when I'm hacking and stuff like that. I think it's a good idea to have that be, if I had the, the power to just deselect it, that you don't get the same warnings. You don't get the reason why it was deselected, I don't think. Right, yeah, you don't. So, which it would actually be annoying if like you have a thousand tests and you're running one and you got like 999 reasons why the other ones weren't run. <laughs> and you'd have to sift through a thousand lines of output just to get your one status result. <laughs> Okay. Well, cool. I don't think, yeah, there are a couple of concepts that are blended in with uh, actually a few concepts. The idea of just marking tests and then running them based on marks. 
That's one idea. Using a bunch of the either built-in marks like Xfail or Parameterize, those are all things that you kind of master either by themselves or sort of in groups like skip, skip, if, and Xfail all kind of work the same. Yep. And then there's uh, within a like a little bit more advanced is within your within your confdesk code or your hook functions or plugin to be able to read and tell whether or not something is marked, which is cool. And then on top, then a little bit more advanced is doing things like uh, passing parameters from a mark to a fixture. But then if you kind of take those, if you want to like explore all of the functionality, if you go kind of in that order, it's really not, they aren't huge jumps, especially if you're looking at examples. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to go from the basics to the more advanced stuff with markers at least. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, and I'll have to look up which one, the the repeat. Well, I'll look up the repeat plugin and, and like, I think there's actually a few that kind of do the same thing, but uh, throw that in the show notes because that's also a good one to, I actually never looked at the source code for it, but it seems like that would be a good one to like look at to see how are they doing that? How would you, if you really wanted to like implement a custom version of that, how would you do that? If I recall correctly, the way it works is it gets the input number and then generates a range of integers and then parameterizes. (laughs) I think it's just a shortcut for parameterize on a variable that doesn't exist. That's cool, though. I don't remember, though. That's how I seem to remember it works, though. <laughs> okay. Now that I've got... Okay, I've got I've got an oddball question that has almost nothing to do with any of this. But you're on the line, so I'll give you a check to see if you know the answer. Sounds great. The identifiers for parameter... For actually, they show up... If you pass in a string, it just shows up if they're unique. And if anything is not unique, it, like, tacks on the one, two, three, four, whatever list which is cool. Yep. The weirdness is if it's an object, it just shows like obj um, or something. Yeah. Why not try to use like either wrapper or string to list it? That's a good question. So there's a couple of reasons why I would be hesitant against wrapper and stir. First is they often can raise errors as side effects of calling wrapper or stir. But the other is a lot of the characters that are returned as parts of representation can be different than, or can be characters that are not allowed inside of a parameterized identifier. So things like square brackets, parentheses, and colons, which have special meaning in the PyTest identifiers. The other thing is you could imagine faulty implementation of double understir, which ends up leading to the same string value as another thing which would make it really hard to differentiate those two items in a particular test. Okay. There is actually a patch, a proposal right now to add special handling for Pathlib, which kind of falls into this same question space of like, do we allow other custom objects to build a particular string representation? And my leaning is currently towards no, because it I think it makes it harder to understand what's going on if two things end up being the same value or we end up with characters that are not allowed. Or what one other question that came up in that discussion was automatic translation of backslashes to forward slashes because backslashes do really poorly inside of parameterized IDs, especially on Windows where backslashes are much more prevalent in path names and stuff. And so there's some outstanding discussion on what's going to happen with that, but for now, there isn't any special handling in core for special objects, objects like that. That said, you can write your own ID factories that take in those particular objects and build out automatically generated IDs from those. And so it's there is like a, I don't think there's a plug-in point for it, but you can do it on a per test basis. Yeah. 
The other thing is you can use pytest.pram to give a hard-coded string for your test ID, which I've been using a lot recently, and I think it makes it makes parameterize a lot, a lot more readable for me, at least. Yeah. I mean, the custom functions work great, but don't you have the, the same problem that you don't know what the custom function is going to return? Yeah, you absolutely do. Okay. I think the difference there is between like a test writer explicitly opting into that custom behavior versus oh, right. it automatically happening in core. Okay, right. That way the bug's on the test writer and not on core. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be kind of cool to have like, like let's say I have a, a particular class that I'm using to bundle all of my data to parameterize. If I also, in that class, like define an ID function or something like that, that seems like that would be reasonable to call or something. Oh, that would be cool. Like a double ender PyTest ID or something like that, where you know, PyTest knows to look for its particular hook on a user space object. Yeah. I don't know if anybody but me would use it, but <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be cool. Anyway, but ID functions are great and they're not too terrible to keep around. But you said, what was it again? The What you should not use in your identifier is bracket, colon, and... Brackets, colons, parentheses, backslashes, non-UTF encodable bytes. No bytes. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff that just like does not play nicely with the ITs. Also, depending on the platform, non-ASCII characters are problematic. I'm currently fixing a bug on Windows where not, I guess it's CP1252 encodable stuff is not allowed, but like I'm fixing it so that any UTF-8 will be valid there. But part of the problem is the PyTest test identifier gets written into the OS environment. So if it's not encodable in your OS environment, then it's problematic. Okay, so try it. If it breaks things, don't use it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, PyTest has some special handling for a few of the characters, but... How about dashes? Most of the ones are safe. Can you use dashes? Yeah, dashes are fine. Okay, even though the... Even if I have... Because if I have two parameters, PyTest will separate them with a dash. Yeah, so PyTest has some special handling. If an individual parameter ID has a dash, it will add another dash, if I recall correctly. Oh, okay. They might also add a number. I forget which one. Okay. But yeah, you can end up in a scenario where there used to be an ambiguity based on the dashes in parameterize. I think we fixed that. I'll try that. There is also a case where empty strings are not handled properly as well. Uh, I think that one's been fixed also. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's a surprisingly complex system and there's a lot of weird edge cases and things that break it in subtle ways. But I think, well, I mean, it's software, so it's always buggy, but I, I think most of the the main bugs have been solved there. But I mean, the idea of like doing a custom identifier is to try to make it simple for you to read anyway. So try to be clean about it anyway, I think. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, cool. Also, the thing is, like, if you have stuff with spaces in it, it's going to be harder to select it using dash K and such. So using identifiers that are easier to match is, is often useful. Well, yeah. And also, if you're trying to pass those parameters through tools, like if you're using PyCharm or VS Code, it gets a little tricky if your identifier is, like, not that parsable for that system. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, cool. We kind of got off on a tangent there at the end, but thanks for the information. And... Uh, yeah, no problem. I kind of like markers, and I hope this was valuable for people. Definitely. Anyway, thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Anthony. Always fun to have you on the show. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring the show. Try PyCharm yourself at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. 
Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. Show notes for this episode are at testandcode.com slash 143. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>